The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Good Morning New York. I am your host, Vince Rocco. Happy New Year, first and foremost. Welcome to 2017. It's been a rough 2016, so hopefully going into this new year, we're going to have a lot more fun than we did last year. I'd also like to welcome our listeners from the United States and around the world. In the news today, New York City's luxury real estate market cooled considerably in 2016 with the number of high-end sales down 18%. This according to Olshan Realty. She says, uh, she blames rather co-ops for the decline as demand has shifted to condos instead, but even still, the golden years of new condo construction have passed, the firm added. A total of 1,102 properties had contracts signed for $4 million or more this year, down sharply from 2013 through 2015, but still higher than 2012 before the condo boom started. Average days on the market rose 30%, meaning it took an extra two months to sell a luxury apartment this year versus last year, 2015. The average asking price also rose, but the average decline from asking to contract actually increased a bit. Still, there's enough demand to sell apartments sight unseen. Olshan says 58% of all condo sales were new construction, and those were sold off of floor plans. Residential developers are praying, and we're certainly hoping that Donald Trump's rise to the presidency will encourage, rather than scare off, continued foreign investment in high-end condo apartments. A continued open spigot is good news for Harry Macklow, Gary Barnett's Extel, and Ken Horn's Alchemy, which is covering the upper floors of the Woolworth building. But a retreat by foreign buyers could spell disaster for their projects and for dozens of others around town where only slightly less expensive new product is coming online. In Miami, the real estate market experienced the first wave of a slowdown in condo sales at the start of 2016, with some experts warning it could lead to a recession by the end of the year. Twelve months later, South Florida real estate didn't implode, but the industry is beginning to feel the pinch of a bear market. As we head into 2017, developers, brokers, and investors believe construction financing for new projects will be harder to come by, and condo sales will continue at a snail's pace. So we'll continue to watch the Miami marketplace. A push by New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to return 50,000 apartments to the city's stock of rent-regulated housing has fallen far short of its goal, as hundreds of landlords appear to have ignored the appeal, uh, ignored the appeal to have the state's plea to comply voluntarily with laws limiting rent increases. The Cuomo administration's efforts stem from a 20, 2009 court decision which said landlords cannot charge market rate increases while collecting a popular tax break known as the J-51. Instead, the state's highest court ruled the apartments must be subject to rent stabilization uh, laws limiting rent increases as long as owners receive the benefit. As 
we reported back in July, the state had ignored requests from tenant groups to enforce this landmark ruling known as Roberts versus Tishman Spire. That was supposed to change in January when Governor Cuomo unveiled his efforts to make owners comply with the Roberts ruling. At that time, Governor Cuomo said the major initiative would restore rent stabilization to about 50,000 units that had been wrongly treated as market rate while owners collected the J-51 tax benefit. Here's another. Here's a good one. City Bike in New York City crushed its own record for the third consecutive year, <laughs> with 2016 being the program's most successful year yet. I know there's cheers in the studio. Here. <laughs> Over the course of 2016, riders took nearly 14 million trips. Wow, 14 million trips. Four million more than in 2015, or a 40% increase. According to a release from the mayor's office, the largest bike share program in North America now regularly serves more than 60,000 trips per day, putting it on par with the borough's taxis and the Staten Island Ferry, which is a very um, heavily used. Whoa. This year, the program added 139 new stations, I know, right out my door, and 2,000 bikes to its fleet. Can't stand it. It's just horrible. Can't get away from it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just can't get away from it. Yeah, you just walk out the door, and all you see is a sea of blue. It's popular. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's popular. Wow. And there's no place to park anymore. Well, and here's my, uh, <laughs> well, thank you very much. And then, you know, when the, when the cab needs to come up in front of the building, it's... That's it's, right. It's blocking two lanes <laughs> of traffic. And they're and ugly. And now you yeah, have to worry about getting run over by bikes in front of your own apartment building. You know, oh, yes. bad enough in Midtown, but now you get because people can't drive bikes. Trust me. After being closed off for several weeks as part of security measures to protect Trump Tower, a little bit of a, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. We're here. We're here. It's a little rant. It's a little rant. Security measures to protect Trump Tower, 56th Street between 6th and 7th Avenues will reopen again to cross town traffic, the mayor announced last week. As part of the change, the NYPD will relocate its mobile command post from the southwest corner of 56th Street to the northwest corner of 56th, and that's no small thing. The switch will allow for the opening of the south side of 56th Street to one lane through traffic while still allowing the mobile command post to act as a traffic deterrent to keep vehicular threats at bay, according to the uh, mayor's release. Balancing security around the president-elect's New York home base with the needs of the rest of the city has been one what one might call a challenge, but the partial reopening of 56th Street should improve construct, uh, congestion in the area and make it easier for businesses who have found themselves within the security perimeter to receive normal deliveries while also maintaining the safety and security of Trump Tower and the surrounding area. After more than a year, Amy Schumer has finally gotten rid of her Upper West Side penthouse apartment. I'm tired of reporting the story. It's amazing. <laughs> the buyer reports <laughs> the New York Post remains a mystery, as does the final sales price, but it went into contract with an asking price of $1.625 million. I'm dying to know what this closed at. Schumer purchased the 850-square-foot pad back in 2014 for $1.695 million. It, uh, it takes up the top floor of a 20-foot wide, turn-of-the-century uh, brownstone a half a block west of the American Museum of Natural History. It was listed in November of 2015 for $2,075,000, uh, $2, but failed to find a buyer. It reappeared this September with a new broker, fresh photos, at an ask of $1.625 million. See, it's all about the photos. Uh, <laughs> one drawback of the otherwise lovely apartment is what it, uh, it is that it's a fourth-floor walk-up. So, you know, this has been difficult for her to sell forever. Mm. It was asking too much money. It probably didn't show well. What a train wreck. fourth floor. A train wreck. Well, the train wreck actress, meanwhile, may have shot $12.147 million on a 4,500-square-foot. Boy, she's improved. Glass wall duplex penthouse atop a pre-war building. Building also on the west side. I got to tell you something. I saw her last week while I was on a holiday on the Ellen show, I think. She is funny. She's hilarious. She, she is, is hilarious. Yeah. I, I mean, it was like laugh the whole time she was on the show. She just needs better real estate advice. 
Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> she should come on the show. If you're listening, Amy, you've got five brokers here. I'd be happy to work with you. City Habitats. Finally, City Habitats is shuttering one of its oldest storefront locations in the West Village. The company has operated a location there for nearly two decades. Company president Gary Mallon said the decision to close the office at 114 Perry Street came amid a shift in the firm's Manhattan business plan to focus less on brick-and-mortar storefronts and more on larger consolidated spaces where all of its agents can be in one place. The closure brings City's total office count to just five in Manhattan, down from 17 at its peak, though the remaining spaces are larger. I wanted to ask you guys, because I have a definite opinion on, you know, storefronts and brick and mortar and, and you know, listings in the window. I worked at Halstead for 10 years, and that was our uh, our thing. Core has the same thing in, in the Chelsea office, several offices in many companies. Do you think that's a good idea to, to move away now from the, the street fronts and the storefronts to you know, high-rise office buildings? If I had to guess, I would say that these firms are doing a cost-benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are still walk-ins that you can get. And yes, you can still make commissions that way. But the cost of rent is very, very high. So I'm sure they're looking at their numbers. They're seeing how many walk-ins they got, how many, how much business they got from having a storefront, comparing with the rent and just saying it's not worth it because a lot of people are now coming from yeah. the internet. Exactly. From referrals, et cetera. But the internet is the is the big game changer. I but think. It, it, it is though. But you know, it's always been a, a showcase, at least for the companies that I work for that have the storefronts. I mean, it just you know, you walk by, people walk by. There's walk-in traffic. You know, floor duty for agents who you know are just starting in the business or experienced agents who who want walk-in potential buyers and sellers. So there's a plus to it. I think I get yes. the economics of it all, but it, I think there's a plus to it. I think it's not just that because I started my career in a storefront office on the west side that I went to a high-rise tower for. Yeah. 15 years and I've been back for the last three years in a storefront office and what I think and the way the business is changing is because of the internet real estate is still local mm -hmm. and the very smart managers yes. of some companies are making the storefront offices part of the neighborhood. I see it with Halstead on the west side, I see it with town on the east side and the companies that are not becoming part of the neighborhood, sponsoring events in the neighborhood, doing all kinds of walk-in things and yeah. events, yeah. they're the ones that are shuddering. I'm seeing it. I'm watching. Yeah, no, it, it, it's true, and it, it's been happening all over the place. I'm just a little surprised because, like I said, I grew up in a storefront, and that was my first real estate experience, and we were very connected to the neighborhood because of that, and we yeah. used to have all kinds of events, Halloween parties for kids and, and you know, Easter and, and Christmas and, and Hanukkah. Where there was always something going on in that storefront. Like I said, so. the smart ones still are. Yeah. I saw, I've seen it the last year or so, especially when they got a new manager in on the west side. Mm -hmm. They're doing all these events again. And I think it's great. But don't forget, another another trend that was happening here is that a lot of people now can work more from home. They don't have to even yeah. be at a physical location. And that's why you need the neighbors there. Yeah. True. But I'm just saying there's also that trend that's mm -hmm. happening where, you know, a real estate company is looking at their costs. I and mean, these fixed costs are a lot. And a lot of agents aren't coming to the office as much because they don't need to. You know, uh, I since I, I I dropped out of management and moved over to Core, <clears throat> I find myself working at home a lot more than I ever did, and because you can, and yes. it's easy, and it's more personal, yes. and you can make phone calls. You're not worrying about yep. talking too loud, right. talking too, you know. So you know, I go in when I need to, but I'm I'm clearly still working, but it's not like I have to be in that real estate office every day. And yeah, I especially think that's things like when, when a real estate agent does a lot of business 
in where they live. A lot of real estate agents do business right in their neighborhood. So that's a little easier than yeah. going somewhere else Absolutely. to your office. But I think, what Deb, but I think yeah. what Deb said is, is correct. It's If a company is very smart, they will keep at least one storefront because it is financially hard to afford the rent of a storefront, especially where it is. I mean, look at Core Storefront in Chelsea. It's one block from the new Barney's. Obviously, rent is expensive. Gorgeous. It is it's gorgeous. It's beautiful whenever I pass it. It's gorgeous. It draws me in as someone at a different firm because it's so beautiful. And, and I think that, that was one of the, the goals of at least the company because they're trying to go in, in that direction of the new techie era. And we get people who come in all the time. I don't work at that office anymore. But when I used to, we would have people come in and say, what do you guys do? This office is so pretty and you guys look like you're having such a good time. What do you do? And then we would tell them, they go, oh, we had no idea. But now that you say that, actually, can you help me out with this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's smart. Yeah, we had people walk in all the time for anything other than real estate. It was quite funny. I don't know what they thought <laughs> they were seeing. But anyway, I'm here yeah. with our, our panel today. Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential. Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and Hal Lundgren from Compass. Uh, before we go to break, Phil, I just want to ask you, give us a little update on uh, LeaseBreak.com. Just quickly explain to the audience what it is, what, what kind sure. of service it is, and, and where you are today. Sure. With it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Vince. Um, so LeaseBreak is, is doing great, and 2017 is very, very excited about it. So it's basically an online marketplace for short-term rentals. That's the focus. So if you're looking for a rental between one and 12 months, that's where the focus is. So we have landlords posting short-term rentals, brokers posting short-term rentals or lease breaks, and tenants posting usually lease breaks, but sometimes short-term sublets or what have you. Um, you also, as a, an agent or a landlord, can market your properties for free. And this has been going on for a while. Our traffic tripled last year, tripled uh, over the year before. That's amazing. So now people are posting and just getting their pl- places rented very quickly. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. The other thing for agents out there is that we do have this amazing referral program where an agent can get rental exclusives using our platform so if you just email us we'll let you know more about that but a lot of tenants need help and i believe the best way to help a tenant market their lease break or apartment is to have an agent help them do it so uh, we have this program where we, we screen the leads and we give these leads out and people are getting a lot of rental exclusives which as any of the agents here know especially if you're either a newer agent or an agent that focuses on rentals having a rental exclusive is such a great way to build your business all right, we have to go to break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. On the other side, we'll be back with Hot Topics. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Real estate isn't just a career for me. It is my passion, and nothing drives my passion more than my clients. One of my clients who's based overseas has bought several apartments with me sight unseen. At the closing table, he turned to my attorney and he said, no one is more intellectual than Matthew. He has my best interests in mind and allows me to spend millions of dollars on real estate in New York a year. I trust him like I would a member of my family, and there is nothing more special or unique than that. I'm Matthew Cohen with CORE, and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we're back, and so let's get right to it. Proximity to Central Park and Morningside Park, easy access to the two subway lines and an abundance of new restaurants are some of the attractions of Manhattan Valley, a part of, um, I guess, the southwest section of Harlem. It has grown in popularity as the rest of the Upper West Side has become costlier. Prices, common charges, and taxes are generally much higher below 100th Street. So my question is, how will Manhattan Valley continue to grow, and how do we define Manhattan Valley for the listeners? You know, Manhattan is carved up into many different you know neighborhoods, Upper West, Upper East, Midtown West, Midtown East, etc., Soho, now and not so new, but Manhattan Valley. Explain to us where that is and how is this going to continue to grow in the next decade? So I always like to say that the Upper West Side and the Upper East Side are not neighborhoods anymore. They're actually just land masses. Um, they, the upper, like the Upper West well, has, in my opinion, the Upper West has four different neighborhoods. You have Lincoln Square. Um, you have like the true Upper West Side, which is just above like the 80s and the 90s. And then you have Manhattan Valley, which you're talking about. And you have Morningside Heights, um, which I live on the cusp of Morningside Heights in Manhattan Valley. So I guess I'm probably the best one to talk about this. But um, Manhattan Valley technically would be, in my opinion, between 100th and 110th. <laughs> Um, west of Central Park West and east of Broadway. So that's, and and it's a very interesting neighborhood in my opinion because people don't really understand how beautiful it is up there and how, you know, you gain a new avenue, which is Manhattan Avenue. um, And and it's just a really beautiful block full of gorgeous brownstones. There's actually a brand new development going on up there. I think it's 952 Columbus. And like you said, the taxes are much lower. um, The common charges are much lower. And people are just really shocked when they see this. And they go, not only is it gorgeous up here, and I have almost every subway subway line to choose from but i'm also right next to central park and i'm also on the cusp of you know if they want to go uptown i'm on the cusp of columbia university which obviously has an extreme neighborhood around it consisting of gray bomb and pop shops and amazing train access is amazing up that way as exactly well. yeah. and, and amazing restaurants like you said i mean i constantly am going to harlem you know crossing into morningside park and going to harlem because there are incredible restaurants that chefs from downtown are opening up there on frederick douglas like lido i was going to um, ask you, you that's a great something. On Instagram yesterday, you and a friend of yours were at it, and you said it was his first as a bakery, I think. So, I've never heard of it. Well, 
Wait, wait. I, I, oh, yeah, Levain Bakery. It's a West Side Park. Oh, I don't think Vince. I have. I, I don't think Vince actually lives here. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jet lives here, and yes. he just lives in Jet's apartment. When I read that, I was going to text you right back and say, but didn't want to sound foolish, like, where is this place? Well, so Levain Bakery, for everyone out there, is, in my opinion, the most famous cookie place in New York City, and ah. it's on the Upper West on 74th Street. <laughs> but they were, they were smart, and they opened one in Harlem a year ago once it started to get really popular. And if the line's too long on the Upper West, go up 30 blocks and Jump go on the, the train and go yeah. Douglas. There, there is go. no line. Well, it's now, amazing. now you've challenged me and I'm going to go find it at least over in this, <laughs> in this area. But I, I, honestly, I, I'm not a baked good person. I don't like cookies and, and but for gifts cake. for gifts well, so, yeah well, and just for everyone out there we have a lot of new year's challenges for vince so uh, uh, <laughs> bring fun, it on <laughs> a fun tip about levain bakery is that my mentor in real estate when i first started he said every closing that he ever went to he brings a levain cookies and nobody is is squabbling over you know a couple <laughs> bucks at the at the closing curtains or whatever it is Correct. Like, yeah so you give them the cookies give them the sugar, they're like whoa this is amazing and then the no clothes is smooth Give him the sugar and it's all okay. <laughs> Could I? Uh, I want to ask Matt a question about yeah. uh, Manhattan Valley because you live near there. Um, it, my, in my opinion or my experience, I guess, it doesn't seem like people use the term too much up there. Because I, I was going to make the point that the Upper West Side's changed so much that now people that live in like 103rd, 104th, 105th, almost just say Upper West Side. But maybe yeah. not. Maybe people that live there do call it Manhattan Valley. So I'm kind of curious if, if that name is... No, I think you're right. I think people definitely don't call it Manhattan Valley yet. I think that's probably a more technical term that we're using. Um, I mean, I live, for example, on 113th in Amsterdam. So I'm west of Morningside Park and above Manhattan Valley by three blocks. And I still say Upper West. Except sometimes mm -hmm. when I want to sound cool, I say West Harlem. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that was the point I was going to make. It's just like, you know, uh, Midtown West or Clinton... We all still go back to the Hell's Kitchen because HK or Hell's Kitchen sounds trendy. And I think, you know, Harlem these days is very trendy and it's kind of cool to say Harlem versus Manhattan Valley or, you know, wherever. And, and, and you I know think that's why people don't really call it Manhattan Valley. They, yeah. they say West Harlem. And right. I think one of the great parts about New York is what people call where they live. Right. Because yeah. that changes a lot. I mean, I, I have so many clients who live in different parts of Tribeca and one of them who lives on in a more east section um, of Tribeca <clears throat> now calls it Chibeca. Because it's like Chinatown, Tribeca. Oh, they're cute. And I had to, I had to be like, I don't know about that one. I mean, there's a lot of that. But too. it's great. It's, I love that. Yeah, listen, it is what it is. Right, I want to go back to the original question, though, ahead, about will Manhattan Valley continue to grow? Yep. And when it was still called Morningside Heights or Harlem or whatever 20 years ago, when I was starting my career in real estate, I did a lot of selling up there. There was a, someone in my office who lived on 108th Street in Lenox, mm -hmm. and she had all these connections. She wanted a partner. So I had the advantage of learning that neighborhood. And we're th okay, we're thinking 20 years ago. The city was still in transition. Giuliani was relatively new, just coming into whatever. And she actually said to me that the big secret of why this neighborhood was exploding was it finally became safe because Giuliani, bless you, Giuliani put a lot of street patrols on. Yeah. And I think when we think of any neighborhood, whether it be Hell's Kitchen or Manhattan Valley that or was parts of Harlem, it all comes down to safety. Mm -hmm. So if Manhattan Valley, which I love, is going to continue to grow, I think we have to take a very good look at where our city is going in general mm -hmm. and the current administration's policies on safety. 
And I think that will predict what's going to happen. And Deborah's so right, as always. I, I have to, I have to chime always. in because no, you're it's usually memory. pretty It's memory. Because right. <laughs> I'm the um, old one here. No, because one of the biggest things that changed Manhattan Valley was there are a group of institutional-looking brown buildings that start on 97th that go all the way up to I think 101st that are along Central Park West, and they used to they kind of look like Lincoln Towers, and they they kind of you know they used to not be extremely safe over there because they're very spread out, and then sponsors started going in and renovating all the apartments and you no, know and they sell them as sponsor a, units now that a lot of them no, no, that was the well, Michelama and they opted out of the Michelama program became real condos okay got it so that, that's that, what happened but there, there you go like when they renovated yeah. them and they started selling them as sponsor units which happened a lot these and days still doing it. Yeah. they it really changed that neighborhood especially what they're doing on Columbus with the mm-hmm. Whole Foods and the Staples and those newer and rental thing. buildings that's more exactly. urban renewal because right. they they knock down tenements they knock which is why we see so many of the white brick buildings and so many institutional buildings on the west side in the upper east, far east. That was all urban renewal. So they're doing it again, which is good for the city. God help us. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I I don't like those buildings. A measure of consumer confidence <laughs> no, shot to safe. its highest level in more than 15 years in December as Americans saw more strength ahead in business conditions, stock prices, and the job market following the recent election. A separate report showed that house prices continued their steady recovery in October, although a spike in borrowing costs after election day could present a headwind to sustain home value gains. How much higher do you think, and we've had two bumps up in interest rates, I think, recently. How much higher do you think we're going to go on the interest rate level? We have to watch the bond market. Remember, this is what everyone's talking about, the interest rates. And uh, Janet Yellen is raising the interest rates. Those are not the mortgage interest rates that she is raising. Those are the general lending for big corporation interest rates and countries the big things. But the mortgage interest rates are tied into the bond market. Correct. That's what we have to watch. Everything else is gossip. But they have gone up, though. They have yeah. gone the up because yeah. the, the bond market changed also. Well, the bond market, That's though, goes up when Janet Yellen uh, raises rates. It does, but it, yeah. But as I say, um, I think there's so many, quote-unquote, smart people that do this for a living every single day, and they got it so wrong for so many years. They kept saying rates were going to go up, rates were going to go up. This for the last 10 years. And they stayed low much longer than the smartest <clears throat> people thought. My <clears throat> point is, is like no way we're going to know what's going to happen. No. But, but it, it it does seem like on the margin they're going to potentially keep going up a little bit. We're still at historical lows right now. We're completely right. And um, it does seem like look, the more the economy grows, the more inflation looks like it's going to increase. The Fed is going to have to continue to raise rates. Exactly. That's their mandate. And so as long as that happens, we will see rates continue to go up. Let's just hope that it doesn't affect prices too much. Although net-net, it probably will put a lid on any major price increases for sure, in my opinion. We, we And we sell in the local New York City marketplace, but this is going to affect all of the nation because mm-hmm. the interest rates go up all over the place, not just here in Manhattan. And yeah, that's actually what I was getting at. So what are the, the consumers or the buyers out there thinking about the potential increases and how will it ultimately affect the purchase prices when we do get maybe a third bump up in interest rates because as we know we're still in that kind of questionable marketplace where we've been for the better part of a year where we're not either a buyer or a seller but we're still sort of stuck in the middle yeah uh, and we can go in either direction so what are buyers feeling about this these days i was just going to add one thing and then and that is that because mine are mostly when, cash and they don't really care one way or the right, other and that's right. not about isn't thing, that you know. show off yeah. <laughs> you guys, no, no, i mean listen. i've got all cash buyers <laughs> Ooh, what's a mortgage? Um, <laughs> how do you spell that? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, do you guys agree with me? This is kind of how I see I see the market. There was a ton of uncertainty before the election, so a lot of people held off. Then the election happened, and in my opinion, no matter who got elected, there was just um, you know that uncertainty went away. Yeah. So then a bunch of buyers came out of the woodwork, and there's a nice little nice little bump in traffic. And then we hit the holidays, which mm-hmm. is a traditionally a slower time. So it's kind of hard to know what's going to happen. Absolutely. And so I know, I don't know about you guys, maybe you guys are seeing a lot uh, increase or decrease at this point. I'm unsure what's going to happen because people are still on holiday and a lot of people. So. And that's one of the reasons I asked it because I, yeah, in my own business, I can't tell that just yet because we're all kind of still sleeping but through the holidays. You know, they, you're right. There was a little bit of a bump up after the election. People started to get, okay, now that's over. Let's let's think about our housing. But then the holidays hit and everything slowed down. So I believe in the next you know 30 days or so, we'll be able to see mm-hmm. a real test of what the market's going to do. All right, we've got to take a break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Hold your thoughts. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, uh, and we're sitting here with Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential, Phil Horgan from Leasebreak.com, Matthew Cohen, Core Real Estate, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. All right, guys, the city's real estate market is in for some major changes in 2017. This according to the research I was doing last week. Rents are expected to increase throughout the city. I question that. New Me skyscrapers too. are poised to shoot to the sky, and revamped public amenities are slated to open. A report issued by StreetEasy predicted that the demand for luxury apartments in Manhattan will continue to wane, as it did in 2016. Meanwhile, the median sales price is expected to increase by... Uh, 0.6% to $985,585 by November in 2017, according to real estate listing sites. So rents are up and luxury sales will decrease. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not so sure that rents are going to go up so quickly. I mean, it's taken, sure yeah, it's taken time to come down yeah. and they've kind of flatlined for a bit. I don't know. I don't know where they're seeing that there's going to be a spike up in, in rents uh, in the city. Is that 
street, street easy, easy. Apparently. Oh, please. The only According thing to their data. I thought about that. Yeah, I don't know how they're predicting the future. That's like a new thing, it seems like. Um, they're just selling the agent thing. But because um, really, it's so hard to do, really. I mean, I have a street easy eight ball at home. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, well, clearly, I mean, they're, they're, they're coming up with some kind of data. I don't necessarily agree with it, but um, let's well, see I what do it think plays out to be. There is a world in which, because uh, I've thought about this, the rental market's been really bad, and prices have come down a lot. And so at some point, it's, it's going to meet its level, you know? And and the other thing is that I feel like um, there's been so there's been a lot of this um, uh, I guess well so last last year there's obviously a lot of there's a, a lot of weakness in the market we know that and so at some point like I was I feel like that's going to catch up landlords are going to say okay let's finally get realistic and if the sales market continues to weaken and there's a lot of uncertainty in the sales market because I was thinking too like there there are a lot of people. A lot of people came off the sidelines once the election happened. But I do think there's some new buyers that may be evaluating things and saying, you know, this presidency is just a lot of uncertainty in it. And, and I do think some people could hold off and rent instead. So I do think some people could be, if they're deciding between renting and selling, they could be pushed into this, the rental market. That's the only thing I could see that could push up. Prior. And I don't see that happening till late spring because historically this is not a very heavy rental season, right. in my opinion. Correct. So it, especially if they, I don't know why they're saying it's going to increase during January and February and March. Like I don't really see today. that. It's just, 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 no, just, no, just, oh, just the year. In 2017. Yeah. So okay. it could happen in June and July when yeah. rentals spike up. You know, that could be the, a time. And we're all hoping that by the mid, you know, mid 2017, May, June, July timeframe, that the overall marketplace in New York City sales and rentals picks up from where it's been the last year or 18 months. So maybe that's what they're hedging on. You know, I think there's just a lot of new inventory. In general, in 2017, yeah, is. New York is going to see roughly 30,000 new apartments come to the market. So right. when you see that much inventory coming, how high, when you have that much competition, yeah. can rents or prices really go? Yeah. And yeah. new neighborhoods are going to be built in yeah. this year you know, and are going to be yeah. finished. I mean, just think about the Second Avenue subway nice. opening two days ago. Like Things like that will also increase the rental market or not just increase the market in general, I think. Well, also, but, I found with but, rentals, I got two calls over, again, over the holidays from people who want to upgrade their rentals because they see that this is a slow season mm. and they want to get in now because their right. leases, before their leases expire mm-hmm. to get a higher end rental now that the rents are down. I also, I, think talking, I, I also think we need to like talk about the market in general because we need to set everyone's expectations, including our own. I think we need to talk about this. Everyone's talking about the sales market and how it's you know not doing it as well and it's going to do poorly in 2017 and things like that. I think we all need to come to grips with what's actually happening. And I've found I had a very interesting, unique situation happen, which is I was working with a buyer for a few weeks before the New Year's and the holidays and everything like that. Um, and he narrowed it down to three new developments that he really loves, but he didn't feel pressure because, you know, they're offering incentives, there are a few options, yada, yada, yada. So yesterday, we actually reached out to all three of the developments, and two of them only have one option left. So obviously, transactions were happening over the New Year's and over the holidays when people, I think, were expecting it to be slow and dead and people to be away and you know but it goes back to people are scared of just interest rates hiking up again i think people are just scared of the uncertainty and they want to if they want to get into a building they're going to get into it but i think new development is a little different it stands on its own oh absolutely for the most part 
because even all the years that I was selling on-site in new development, through the holidays, you know, the developers would always say, or the sponsors, oh, it's going to be slow, maybe we'll close the office, and I would be like, I don't think so. Yeah, agreed. And every time we stayed open, we did deals. And it's different than the resale marketplace, I think. And the resale marketplace is a different kind of sense of urgency. Agreed, but the press needs to be more specific about how they put that out there because one of my sellers called me yesterday. Right, right, exactly. One of my my sellers yesterday called me and Mm -hmm. he said, All I read about, we had his apartment on the market for a month and it hasn't sold yet and we're putting it back on next week. And he said, All I'm reading about in the papers is about how strong the market is. Why are we sitting here? Things like that. And I said, Well, the press is just that it's press and you need to take it for what it is. And you need to know that new development and condo sales are doing very well, but things like co-ops, it's not that they're not doing as well, but they're sitting there for longer. It's taking a longer amount of time. So everyone just needs to be a little more realistic about what the news puts out there. Well, I agree with you. And street easy, apparently, you know, according to the survey says, you know, that it's taking an additional 30 days to sell an apartment. I can attest it's taking 60 plus Mm -hmm. days to sell apartments. So, so you got to be careful. You're right, Matt. You got to be careful with what you read because it's not always the most accurate. And you know, look, uh, journalism or newspapers, or there's always a slant for whatever reason or whatever they need the story to be. But continuing along the lines of uh, rentals, um, after decades of delay, and Deborah just took her first ride today on the this second morning, Avenue subway. Yeah, wow. it debuted on New Year's Day here in New York City. So quickly. the Upper East Side now has its own train system, which is very exciting for the East Siders here. But a new report says higher rents are the next stop for the Upper East Side residents. Near the new stations, people who live near the subway stops at 72nd Street, 86th Street, and 96th Street could see their rent jump by as much as $462 per month. Again, oh, the poor to exactly. Let's talk. Can we talk? So let's. I mean, so let's hear. Let's hear. Set the record straight before the press does. I'm just reading the data, right? So before people talk about it. What people have to understand is that there were a lot of new developments being built on the Upper East Side near the Second Avenue subway as a plan of it opening. So a bunch of those buildings are going to open in the next few months, and a lot of those buyers are going to rent out their apartments. Of course, they're going to rent out for higher than the norm in that area because they are brand new product. Mm -hmm. So people have to understand that if they are in a, say they're in a condo and they want to rent out their apartment and their building is not one of those new developments, they can't base off of that. And if they're using a broker who's basing it off of that, they're giving them a load of you-know-what. Although, I so I just want to say, in my opinion, there is no question. Rents are definitely going to go higher in the neighborhood. 100%. Whether it's 462 or 461, or we have no or idea. whatever but the if, number is. But if you're a landlord, I know some landlords that lived up there, and they lived through hell the mm-hmm. last... Ten years, maybe. Yes. Let's say, say, call it. Uh, yeah. We'll call it five years. The last five years have been so bad. Rents have been below market. Yes. I mean, they have really yes. suffered, and they haven't gotten they much have. for it. So <clears throat> they are going to do their best to make. So what's going to happen? The best to make up for it. So what's going to happen is they're going to test the market, and you're going to. They're going to maybe they won't go for four sixty two right. increase right away, but they may try two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, and they will go as high as they can for it to stick, and they're going to get a lot higher. Well, you yeah. can take Yorkville yeah. as an example. You know, perhaps it is so far from any train, the Lexington Avenue train, you know, in, in those areas. Those apartments have been relatively very affordable, as you just said. So the area's median rent is about $2,700 per month, compared that area up there, compared to citywide average of $3,300 mm-hmm. a month. 
for a one bedroom. So there is a difference. Now, again, you're right. Is it going to jump $400, 500 I mean, who knows? But we do know that it will go up. And I have to tell you something. It's very exciting for the east side folk because they now have a train system. I mean, I agree. It's amazing. It's and, really amazing. That yeah. brings, you know, a, a city that's so transportation heavy and focused, that is a major But people have to plus. be very careful. Just like when we talk about a new development opening their doors and everyone who bought putting their apartment for rent at the same time, that's what's going to happen up there. They're right. all going to put their apartments on the market for rent, the landlords, you know, new condo buyers, and it's going to be all at once and there's going to be a flood of inventory. And I just, people have to be careful about what they price it. As Mal said before, you're going to have so many more apartments coming to market. And I agree with that also, Matt. I think what's going to happen, my prediction is, with all these landlords up there, whether it's new buildings or existing buildings, I think they're all going to test the market right away immediately because of the train system and throw those rents up in the air. And look, you know. Some of them will try for too high. You you know, there's going to be a story. You said it it before, but I mean, I, I agree with that because I can see people thinking, okay, here's a great opportunity now to. Bump up these rents. Let's try it. Hey, look, just like a seller who wants to put $100,000 on their their uh, apartment more than it should or 200 in some cases, whatever but the number. Another good thing. And, and you roll it back if you need to. And another good thing to note, if you are a landlord and you you know have a co-op or a condo over there you know, and you have an existing tenant, you know, make sure you're not going too crazy on the lease renewal and understanding that, that there will be other competition mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times landlords try and get greedy and jack mm-hmm. up a current tenant for $400 mm-hmm. and then put it on the market at that $400 increase from whatever the rent was and then it sits for three months yeah. and they're losing all that money. Totally. That's right. right. You know, just, just be smart about the, the overall dynamics of what's happening in that area. Let me ask you something, Phil. Yeah. So, so people who are facing uh, rent uh, re- lease renewals in the mm-hmm. next, say, three to four months, okay? We've come through 2016 where things have been lower, uh, flat, whatever. What do they expect in the next three? My, I have a lease yeah. coming up in April, and I'm thinking, okay, so I got increased last time. I do two-year leases all the time. What's going to happen this year? Can uh, I ask for a decrease? You know, I, I'm going to do the same thing, actually. And I'm very tempted to ask for a decrease knowing that I might get flat. Because the truth is, it should be flat. Like I think, depending on what that's what I'm hoping. It depends on what you were paying. It's possible you were paying way below market, and so the landlord in your individual situation may be able to raise it. So you should have a sense of what the market is around you. But if you were paying market last year, Mm -hmm. you should be able to try your best to get flat. Now the landlord may still know that it's a pain in the butt to move, so then maybe they could get you a fifty, a hundred dollar increase type of thing. But it always is risky to ask for less than the rent last year because it hits landlord in such like a visceral way, like to actually ask for, because they're going to think. And I've never done that. So I've I, never done it either. I don't know what. The, you the know. only time it happened in, um, in my lifetime since being a real estate agent anyway is during the financial crisis where people would actually yes. ask for decreases and they would get them and the landlords would be more than happy and they would even throw in a few extra months of rent That's on to top of it. it. They wanted yeah. to keep it rented. Exactly. But this And they, the landlords may immediately say, hey, this isn't. 2008 you know who do you think you are but again are they going to want to lose you probably not so right. you have especially to weigh the tenant right. yeah. yeah and especially if you're there a long time like I'm right. in my building over 10 years I mean it's a long time that right. I'm living in my place my suggestion so. is see what you know know what the market is yeah. in, in your building and then consider asking for less depending because people then, are also asking me you know uh, in, in my work network and friend network and family network you know hey so the, the, the state of the rental market right now is kind of low or as low as it's been in you know, many years 
what leverage do I have? And I'm thinking, well, I don't really know because right. it, it's hard to it's like hard the interesting to thing is the landlords know. So like when the market yeah. is actually not great, which it's not great right now, you can use that to your advantage. And so what you essentially say to them is, look, I really like living here, but the rent is is more than I can afford. I know what else I can get in some other places, and I but I really don't want to leave, but I may have to. So here's what I'm offering, and let's see if we can work. And you know, the good point is to yes. add on that is, uh, you know, I've helped uh, some of my past clients who are currently in places figure out how to deal with that conversation with the landlord. And when you, like what I did was present just a couple links and comps and said, look, you can go right across the street for, you know, $500 less. Right. And then we basically aggregated all of that information, kind of had the, the conversation that you were talking about, Phil, put it, put it together in an email and said, hey, look, look for yourself. Right. You know, and then send them the information packaged and bundled up. Mm-hmm. And then when they're looking at it, they're like, okay, Brilliant. you make a very good argument. Right. Right. That makes sense. And right. Then, you know, you all right. We have to leave it there. Right. We're coming back for our last segment. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com A client gave me the best compliment. He said, I'm the MacGyver of real estate. True, I'm resourceful and reliable. It was during a short sale that involved two banks and a foreclosure. And it was during the financial crisis. I pulled every trick out of my hat and we closed the deal. He said, if I was ever stranded on a highway at two in the morning, you'd be the first person I'd call. (laughs) I am known for answering the phone at all hours of the night. But what he didn't know was that I've even helped a client change a tire. I'm Elizabeth Key with CORE, and this is what I do. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. So as the city continues to undergo its seemingly unstoppable new building transformation, and believe me, you know, as Niall said a little while ago, there are going to be so many new apartments coming to market this year, bringing needed change to further and further neighborhoods, for example, Hudson Yards, Far West, new, brand new neighborhood. Why are so many basic services non-existent in places where housing prices have already shot through the roof? Again, let's take Hudson Yards as an example. So, you know, the, the, the old expression is you build it and they will come. Okay, so we're building it, they will come, they will buy, but resale, retail rather takes a long time to follow these new developments. Why is that 
why is that? And and how do people deal with that? I remember when the old the Trump buildings on uh, Riverside yeah. Boulevard went up. It took yep. years. They're still waiting for stuff. Still there. Some you know buildings what? are still waiting. Your for local retail. neighborhood shoe repair is can't afford the rents. Well, he can't go there. Your local yeah. no no. But this is these are the amenities that everyone needs because yeah. this is what we're asked. It's not just the big Whole Foods which are opening up the expensive grocery stores. There was a a old time. Metropolitan grocery store in, in Soho, Tribeca, that's the last inexpensive grocery store that's closing. There is no amenities and the rents are too high for the local things. You're not going to find the bodegas, which we all run into no. for a cup of coffee or but, toilet but, well, paper. I, I think the you, point is you know? even the larger even the larger companies or the larger stores or whatever – whether they be chains or not, still take a long time to follow new development. Well, having worked with corporations mm-hmm. on their real estate side, um, I'll tell you that it, it's because the residential real estate world and the commercial real estate world look at basically appreciation and the future in different ways. So the residential developers, for example, like related, like Jeff Blau, when they talk about West Chelsea and how they, you know, they were like, how could this be gas stations forever? It'll definitely be something one day people will definitely move over here. Um, you know, commercial real estate people like Whole Foods, like, you know, CVS, their real estate people don't think that way. They look at the residential part and they say, what is here? Who's living here? How many people are living here? And that's the traffic that we're going to get. So when mm-hmm. so I think the most prime example because I think Hudson Yards is a little bit of a um, albatross in the sense that they're making they're creating an entire neighborhood mm-hmm. from everything. So you know yes they were smart to put the seven train first, but they're doing residential and retail and office at the same together. time. Yeah. Yeah. Where that's I think that's a little rare, but I think a perfect example is Long Island City. Long mm-hmm. Island City was a place that they built tons of residential, yeah. so many condos, so many rentals because the seven train is so easily accessible to get to you know people's offices around Grand Central around Times Square um, and then once people moved there there was nowhere to go so you know they they basically all those retailers now and in the last year have said this is a very packed neighborhood and this is where we're going to start building a lot of things and that's the way real estate people in corporations and because think. of the pent up demand right so exactly. you, know, you have these neighborhoods that are just getting stocked full of residential you know tenants and then all of a sudden it's, they're 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 complaining they're going to you know whole foods or doing fresh direct like why can't i get you know a grocery store and then once that kind of hits a critical mass of whether it's complaining or frustration and maybe people leaving the neighborhood, then all of a sudden that's when the Whole Foods you know, pounces in. And there's two leading um, economic indicators of neighborhoods. It's if a Whole Foods and an Equinox goes into a neighborhood, <laughs> that's, both. that is oh, uh, an absolute um, you know, indi- leading indicator that there's going to be, uh, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but uh, a certain uptake. In no longer yeah. Starbucks, huh? And, uh, yeah. Well, Hudson Yards is, is putting in Equinox. And, they have and, to. and another, <laughs> another good example yeah. I, like, I, wow. like, I like talking about real estate in New York City with anyone um, when they don't realize the smaller factors. Like, like you talk about Harlem, that's such a big topic. You talk about something, you know, like the Whole Foods out in Brooklyn. It's such a big factor. But um, think about the Bond Street Equinox that just opened in NoHo. So Equinox, I actually heard from the Equinox people that they were talking about how, oh, there's one, you know, a little further down. NoHo is still kind of known for those cobblestone streets and not as new buildings. But now that you have some newer conversions that went in and it's just so outrageously expensive, they, they decided even though people here could walk a few blocks and go to an Equinox, they're wealthy enough to dedicate themselves to an even fancier 
may I use the lack of a better term, but fancier Equinox right here. And that's how they put it in. Well, so yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, right. I was just—I was going to say the other reason, just to add on to what everyone said, is that a lot of these commercial leases are ten-year leases, mm-hmm. right? So these stores have to really think about whether yeah. it's the right place. So that gives them another reason to wait. You know, these are these are big commitments that they're making. Um, yeah. No, they're they're very big commitments. But I'm thinking, you know, if you're putting up a, a, a development like Hudson Yards, you know, there are going to be thousands and thousands of people who are going to be living there. I don't think that that particular example would not work out you know what i'm saying there's going to be a lot of people living there as matt said before the seven train was put there first smartly Mm -hmm. so you know access to and from your new home is going to be easier and you know when you walk down the stairs and and you have all your retail or whatever you're looking for it right there i think it's a it's a safer bet there maybe than say in some other places i I don't know but but that's just that's just you know one little interesting to me just a quick point is that then the more I use the word gentrify. Can I use that word? A neighborhood becomes, after years and years and years, it goes... It was the other way. This, the services, the, so they were there and they start to leave. I know I was yeah. living in the West Village just as years ago and it and I was coming from like Gramercy and the Upper East Side uh, and I was frustrated that I had to walk like three blocks to go to get toilet paper, you know? Um, so, which sounds crazy, right? But yeah, I'm so used to having, you know... But okay for a bottle of wine, right? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's yes. the thing. It's like... Priorities. It's so it is a bank on every corner and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, a lot of it, it's just, anyway, it's just interesting how it eventually goes the other way and these basic services leave the neighborhood. Absolutely. All right, moving on. No matter how jaded New York City real estate prices have made you, it only takes one $80 million penthouse to trigger shock and awe over our city prices. Think you can accurately guess the prices of homes across the city? I tend to think most buyers and sellers can't. So the question is, how many sellers and buyers really know the prices of real estate in this town? If you take the emotion out of their thinking process and you look at the bare facts or the the raw data, how right on are they with pricing okay, in this town? If, yeah, okay. if sellers did not use brokers, then we would the real estate market in New York City would cause a recession. That's that's my opinion, and that's a very strong opinion. And I, I have to say that because of all of my clients and all of my sellers who are outrageously smart people, but all they read is the news, and it Which goes back to the press. Old. And and not only even that, all they talk about are the big sales, that's the right. big yep. ticket items. Well, so that's you why know, I mentioned the eighty million dollar penthouse. Exactly. So like, <laughs> if if they were pricing things, they would be outrageously high no one would buy things but the that's why you have us there you go because we put together comps we put together what's going on in the neighborhood and we live it every day exactly well we live it every day it's not porn for us that they're reading in the uh, I I mean it's still porn for me but it takes takes a seller that says and I had one say this to me a while ago when that hit the the market you know I know it was a hundred million dollar one a year or two ago well, I know my apartment's not worth a hundred million dollars, but I can probably ask three or four hundred thousand dollars more because that seems to be what the market is right now. And I said, uh, no, that's not going to happen. It doesn't matter that somebody just sold something for a hundred million. You're not in that building. You're not in a penthouse. On and on and on. But I think yeah. people, you know, just think that they can try anything. It's like throw spaghetti against the wall. How much of it sticks? Great. Whatever falls to the floor, falls to the floor. Well, I think that the, so the sellers, I think, tend to not know as much what's going on because, look, they're living their lives and all of a sudden they want to put their partner on the market. However... To me, there's no one that knows price better, like an educated buyer. Mm-hmm. You get them after two or three months, mm-hmm. and they're looking at a very specific thing. Yep. They know if something immediately is worth, is priced under or below, you know, above or below the market. Absolutely. So I always say, like, when you're a seller, 
that's who you want to price for. You want to price for the person who is so educated, that educated buyer that's been looking for three or four months and maybe lost out on a few things because they're willing to even pay a little bit more for something because they know what's priced right and what's not priced right. And that is who, as a seller's agent, we're trying to price for. And that's how your apartment, to me, goes very quickly and you will wind up getting more than you would get had you started too high. But just to play devil's advocate, I actually... I agree and disagree a little bit because I think an educated buyer who knows the market is being educated by their broker. Because I have found that a lot of my buyers think they know the price and they don't. Well, and they after think, months and months of looking Oh, I, I still agree yeah. with that because I, I think that's why they're they're missing out. I Like a lot of people who, you know, go to a building where there are three apartments available and so they try for each one and see what they can do and then they miss the one that they wanted. You know, I, I think but that it always, can't. right, I think it always comes yeah. back to a broker, you know, the this similar variable between a buyer and a seller is comps and you can give both comps and they both work off of it. All right. We got to leave it there. So sorry. That is our show for this week. Thanks to my panel and guest today. You can catch a show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or at vincerocco.com for all of us at voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.